you're on a journey. You want progress over perfection, which is the most important thing. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Jackie Ferguson. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nils. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, I'm super excited to have you on, Jackie. You are a diversity and equity inclusion expert and co-founder of the Diversity Movement. Would you share a little bit about the diversity movement and what it is? And that's going to kind of set the context for our entire conversation today. Absolutely. So at the diversity movement, we partner with organizations that use the tools of diversity, equity, and inclusion to create cultures of belonging and innovation and ensure profitable and sustainable business. And we do that through our expert created content, programming, technology products, and training to meet organizations wherever they are and wherever they're starting to help them move forward with customized solutions. And, and that's a key piece, wherever they are and helping them move forward, because I imagine you see an, a very, very wide range from an organization perspective of how much they embrace this, how much they live it, even if they believe in it, do they take action? What, what in the grand scheme from a DE&I perspective in the organizations that you work with, where are most of our organizations? That's a great question, Nils. And I think most organizations are at the point at least where they know they need to make this important. So that's a good start, right? That's the the step one. But where they are on that journey, you know, some organizations haven't really started yet. Some organizations have some framework. They've, you know, done a few things. And then some organizations are pretty far along um, because they've been, you know, doing this for years. And so one of the things that we do at the diversity movement as we get working with a new client is to assess where they are in that journey and then what their capacity is to learn and grow. You know, some organizations and some, you know, leadership groups are very excited about, you know, making strides forward quickly. And some, you know, still feel that hesitation of, you know, I'm not sure where to go or what to do, or if I say the wrong thing and, and that's okay too. And we move at the pace that's required for each, for each organization. That's wonderful. Well, I love how there's no one cookie cutter. Here's a six week program and you're done. Like, this is not a check the box kind of exercise, right? That's right. No, it's exactly right. <laughs> this is more of a integrated into your culture, you know, and wherever you are today, there are ways to do that. And we're going to talk about some of that in just a little bit. Absolutely. 
Okay, cool. So before we get into that, though, I want to find out a little bit about your backstory and how did you come to get to this place of, you know, being a co-founder of the diversity movement? You know, what what did you experience that brought you to this point? Yeah. And Nils, I always like to say that I was born into diversity and inclusion. The reason I say that is because I come from a multi-racial, multi-generational, multi-regional family you know, having my parents and my grandparents in the same house after my grandparents retired, I got to, you know, at my own dinner table experience how people see current events or things that are happening through different lenses and lenses of experience right there at the table. And then I understood one, how to process that, how to take different pieces of information and take those perspectives for myself to determine what I wanted to do with them and how that related to how I saw the world. It allowed me to be more open and then also taught me very young how to message people who think differently than I do. And I think that was uh, certainly a plus. Then spending time working for executives for the majority of my career um, in executive support, working in marketing and sales, uh, and then in HR as well. All of that has to do with DEI. And, you know, depending on what that role is, you know, DEI is important for each of those things, whether it's, you know, in marketing, how you're messaging right? Your, your client base and your customer base to make sure that you have a broader market share or sales and, and how you're, you know, sharing the, the needs that people have for your product or, or business to executive support and, and how that DEI shapes your bottom line and, and profitability for your business. So I got to work in many different industries in many different roles over my career. And that's how Uh, I've developed a love for DEI. I think it's a combination of all of those things. And then I had the opportunity and working with a marketing agency where our current CEO was CEO at the time. And we were creating courses for marketing and creating courses for professional development. And what he saw was a gap in the market for organizations in marketing specifically that did not have diversity within their, you know, their realm and and within their network. And we did as an organization. And so he wanted to create a course that would kind of message those agencies and say, look, this is important. This is why you need it. And so I volunteered to go ahead and write that course while I was learning, while I was growing in DEI and getting certified uh, as a certified diversity executive. And it was well-received, so super excited about that. And from there, Nils, people wanted to know what was next. And our organizations that we were working with, you know, took the course, said, this is great. Now what do we do? And that's how the diversity movement was born. So, Wow. That's such an incredible story. I mean, it's not very often that you are born into a role that ends up becoming your career. And I think that's just... So, I mean, when we talk about alignment from a leadership perspective, like that's it. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> every time I talk to you, there is nothing but alignment. And I hear it in your passion. I hear it in your voice and I hear it and I see it in everything that you do. And also seeing it throughout your incredible book called The Inclusive Language Handbook, A Guide to Better Communication and Transformational Leadership. 
And I bookmarked a ton of sections in this because I want to go deeper with you, get your perspective, share some, share some insights and expertise with our audience here who are all leaders or aspiring leaders inside of a professional context. And I know this much of this applies universally as well, but there are some things that I found in your book that I blew my mind and I, you know, just took it for granted or kind of assumed that that was okay or that was something and it has completely changed my perspective. So if it's okay with you, we'd like to do a little bit of a a deep dive through the book. Is that cool? Absolutely. Okay. So the first piece that I caught my attention was in the beginning and it was, it was in the, the chapter titled what's in a word. And you know, the, what you said about the power of a single word. And I thought that was really interesting because oftentimes, especially from a leadership perspective, it can take years to build trust and years to build relationships, whether that's with a colleague, a client, somebody else, an executive, whatever it is, it can take years, but it can be, trust can be destroyed in a matter of a minute or sometimes perhaps even a word. Would you share with us a little bit more about what the power of a word really means? Absolutely. Well, you know, communication is so important in general, and especially for leaders. In developing trust, you know, those employees, those clients, your shareholders are listening to everything that you say. And very often, based on what they might have experienced in the past, critically so. And so you want to be careful about what it is that you're saying, but I don't want to create fear, right? Because there's, there's that fear too of, I, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. And so you need a combination of the education and understanding what are the right things to say, the better things to say, words that are more inclusive, and then also understanding that you can retain that trust, even saying something that's wrong by saying, you know what, I said something, it wasn't as inclusive as it could have been. And this happens to me all the time, even after writing the book, right? There are words that we say and phrases that we've used. And the most important thing to remember, Nils, is especially as you're going through the book and, and discovering, oh, I say that, I've said that before, right? is that it's a learning journey. And if you say something that isn't inclusive, correct yourself right there. That allows you to keep trust with people and and just remind people, you know what? I'm learning my inclusive language or I'm practicing my inclusive language. And I said this, it wasn't as inclusive as it should be. I should have said this instead. Apologies go a long way. And so while you're, you know, reading this book particularly and and going through and learning some of those words that that we've said and Nils, I'll tell you, some of those things were things that I said all my life. And it took a long time to work out of it. But it's okay. You're on a journey. You want progress over perfection, which is the most important thing. And then, you know, just remind people that you're you're practicing inclusive language and you know, and it's okay to ask people too, like, what do you prefer I say in this case? Or what what makes you feel most seen or or most respected in this space? And, you know, that's how you can practice and retain that trust as well. Because I think a lot of leaders especially are very afraid of saying that wrong thing. And we've seen, you know, in the news what happens when people say the wrong thing 
in the news, you get vilified, right? Oh my goodness. And the thing about it, Nils, that I try to remind people in general is most of the time, people are not intentionally trying to offend you. It's something they don't know. They've never thought about. It's important to give grace and, and, you know, to others and also to give grace to yourself as you're learning through that journey. That's just incredible advice. So let me ask you this. If, if a leader who was listening to this and, and got a copy of your book and found some things just like I did and was going to be working on that progress, not perfection, would you advise that they share their intentions perhaps with their team and say, you know what, team, one of my focuses and growth areas as a leader is going to be using more inclusive language. And I want you to be aware that I'm going to be making an effort towards this so that if I don't or if I inadvertently offend you, I want to the feedback to tell me so that I can improve. Would you advise sharing that sentiment to put it out there and just have it be an okay thing from the get-go? Nils, absolutely. That's such great advice because it, you know, if we're thinking about trust, which is so important for leaders, and I love that you brought that up so early in the conversation because it's a thread throughout, you want transparency. So share that that you're learning, that you're practicing. And, you know, people respect that and people appreciate that. And people want to help you get better and participate in that. And I think that allows you to have a little bit of wiggle room to practice and try and make mistakes and correct it and apologize and do better and all of those things in that learning journey. Love it. Love it. Okay. So the next piece I saw was, a point about for every 10% more racially or ethnically diverse a company's senior team is, earnings before interest in, in taxes are nearly 1% higher. So we're talking about monetary and valuation gains far beyond just you know uh, being inclusive and making a, a safe environment, but we're talking about some serious monetary gains when uh, depending on the size of the company, that could be a huge, huge value add. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the thing that we discovered, Nils, is people started moving into DEI as an initiative. The first step of that was, this is the right thing to do, right? And or organizations were participating in that because they want to create those environments and cultures of belonging. Well, what we've been able to find over the past 20, 30 years from the studies that have been conducted is that it's also better for business. That's a great statistic. Companies that prioritize DEI are also 19% more profitable through innovation. They get 19% more revenue through innovation. And what that means is because you've got more voices at the table, different voices at the table that are more reflective of our society, you're going to understand better how people think what offends them and what doesn't, right? How to message them, what their behaviors and habits are. And because you've got more of that information at the table, you're able to create products and also processes that are better and more inclusive and and message or, or create products for more people. And so the thing that's important to remember about that is it affects revenue. It affects your profitability because happy employees are more productive employees. 
In fact, it was Oxford that did a study that said happy employees, right, employees that are in situations where they feel that culture of belonging and feel valued and feel like they're contributing are 13% more productive. And that's an almost an hour a day of more productive work. And that over time per employee adds up to a lot of profitability. <laughs> that does. And straight to the bottom line, which is where we all need it, right? Where That's we all right. It. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the fascinating thing is there's a lot of different ways to drive an increase in profitability, right? You can cut costs. You can you know acquire another company. You can go down a million different paths. But here's one that is more of an integration into the thing which already exists, which is your company and the its untapped potential, I guess I would say, um, in that moment. That's really fascinating. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the, in the next piece, there was a stat here. It said 50% of LGBTQ plus workers are not, quote unquote, out to their current supervisor. And what I found fascinating about that was just the awareness that potentially half of people who might be even in that category, you'll never, you would never know. So if you inadvertently use some language that is not appropriate, you might be offending and have no clue that it actually happened. How do we as leaders then, you know, how do we approach that kind of a situation just with that awareness now? Nels, I love that, that you talked about that and, you know, just digging into that a little further, you also don't know with, you know, families are multicultural now right? So you never know whose grandchildren might look different than you do, right? And so you're, you're having these same conversations in the workplace that you had, you know, 10 years ago, and you're offending a, a very productive, important employee and have no idea. And so that's why inclusive language is so important because you're creating a culture irrespective of, of who is in the room right? Where people feel included and valued and safe. And whether you know or don't know who that person is and, and all of the facets of their identity or all of the facets of their family's identity, you're practicing for the broader society, which is so important. And as we think about Nils, Gen Z coming into the workplace, they are more diverse than ever in so many different aspects. And so you need to get there because they care about that more than, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, right? And there was a lot of head down, do your work, get promoted at the appropriate time. You know, there's some off color jokes and some, some things that make you uncomfortable. Don't worry about it. Just keep working, right? You don't want to ruffle any feathers, right? That was all the things that that you were taught as a Gen X person coming into the workplace. And Gen Z is not like that at all. They want to speak up. They want to work for organizations where their values align with their personal values. And DEI as as a, a practice is so important to, to furthering your recruiting efforts and your retention efforts for Gen Z. Because if your company is going to be around for the long haul, it has to serve the next generation of workers. You can't just think about the here and now. And there's probably people in leadership positions across a lot of organizations that are from sometimes two or even three generations prior. 
And the more awareness that they have about what the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years looks like, the better they can build their organizations to be more profitable and have a much more inclusive environment. Nils, that's that's so right. And you know, one of the and I use this example. I know people that that listen to me a lot are probably tired of this example, but I love I to hear it. use it. Let's hear it. <laughs> so, you know, I think about Blockbuster, right? And Blockbuster, the same thing happened with Blockbuster. You know, as a again, as a Gen Xer, Friday night, you go to Blockbuster, you got your two new releases and your popcorn, right? And you couldn't think of anything else. And Netflix met with Blockbuster and said, hey, we've got this great new idea. This is the wave of the future, right? And Blockbuster thought that was hilarious and brushed them out. And now, I mean, and now we know, like, we we all know how to access our Netflix account and could not find a Blockbuster card if there was $1,000 on the table, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely right. I remember we used to drive, you know, 25 minutes from our house to go to Blockbuster just to rent the movies to turn around, drive 25 minutes home. And we spent at least 30 minutes in Blockbuster wandering the halls, right? Because there were so many and that was the whole goal was to try to get you to stay in there for longer time. So um, that's a wonderful analogy and perfect example of what happens if you don't pay attention to the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and think about that, right? That's right. Because Blockbuster was not listening for the change in the habits of this next generation. And so because they weren't, they were thinking about me who's in there every Friday night with my Skittles and right. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the popcorn, they always had free popcorn. Come back. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> they were thinking about me. They weren't thinking about the millennials coming after and said, you know, I want to access my movies when I want them. And because they didn't, right. That's what happens to businesses that are not embracing this. DEI is necessary for sustainable business. I think that's probably one of the most powerful one-liners. Like, well, if, if if you don't want to be the next blockbuster, better get on the DEI train and start integrating that and figuring out and hopefully get some help from Jackie and her wonderful team on how to bring this and how to you know future-proof the next 20 years of your company. I think that's an incredibly powerful message. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So there's some a ton, ton of language examples uh, in the book. And these were some of the things that caught my attention. I wanted to ask you about them. Again, just like you said, like things that I've said all my career, probably all my life, and probably didn't really think twice about it. And then reading the description and understanding a little more behind it, then could clearly see, uh, okay, now that I see a different perspective, right? Whereas before is just kind of tunnel vision, there I go. So, you know, one of the most standard is the he or she, right? Or ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen is that they used at the beginning of a million speeches, right? And I was shocked to see that there is one of the first ones there. So tell us what 
leaders should think about using instead of he or she or ladies and gentlemen? How should we be more inclusive instead of using that colloquial stuff, which we're used to? Right. So because Nils, that is gendered language, right? You're, you're identifying two genders and there are more than two genders. You're not including people that are non-binary, um, you know, people that are gender fluid, for example. And you want to make sure that you're saying something like everyone or team or all or something like that, where it includes every person. You know, ladies and gentlemen was a hard one to break. Another one, Nils, that that I would say as someone from the Northeast is guys. Hi, yes. guys. Thanks, I guys. I wanted to get to right. that one. You guys. <laughs> that was the hardest one for me to break. I mean, it was, you know, 40 something years of saying that. And then I'm like, okay, this is this is not inclusive. And I tripped over that, Nils, for a good year before I worked it out of <laughs> And what is your what is your go-to now instead of you guys? Everyone. Everyone. Love it. When you now have worked it out and you go in, do you ever give it a second thought? Do you ever slip back? Or once you get to that point, you're like, okay, it's just now it's part of the habit and I don't have to worry about it as much. It's pretty much part of the habit, but if I'm if I'm talking to my family, us Northeasterners, it'll slip back in from time to time. And I'll just correct myself. Yeah. If you get back in that family environment or in, you hear it, other people saying it, it just comes back out. When, and that's some of the risk, right? As we return back into offices, there's a lot of those things that we used to talk about and just do that were totally normal, which are going to come back again, which maybe took a little bit of a break during the pandemic when we were all separated and virtual because it was just a different dynamic and different environment. Absolutely. And, you know, there's just so much more small talk nils and conversations around the water cooler and in the break room. And, and you've got to pay attention to the language that you're using. The most important thing that I would say is just listen to what you're saying. And if you say something that's not inclusive, just correct yourself in the moment. The more you do that, the more you'll work out of it. Good. Okay. Another one that I thought was really interesting was the Mr. Mrs. Miss. And that one, because I, I had not seen, there was an, you, one of the recommendations was more inclusive was MX. Tell us a little bit about that. It was something that was totally new. It said, you said first name or last name and then MX, or if they have a doctor or something like that, you could add that in. But the Mr., Mrs., and Miss, give us the kind of evolution there and what we should be thinking. What we're doing when we look at someone, we make assumptions about what their gender is based on the way they're dressed, what their haircut looks like, and it may not be representative of their gender identity, right? It's based on our assumptions. And so we don't want to use Mr. or Miss and misgender someone unintentionally and offend them. So we want to make sure that, you know, if in writing, you can say MX. When I'm speaking, I usually refer to people by their first name. And that's an inclusive way to speak to someone. You know, another thing, Nils, in that same vein is you often end with, you know, thank you, ma'am, or thank you, sir, which can do the same thing. And what I've found is a best practice is to fill that space because it's hard to say thank you when you're used to saying thank you, ma'am, right? You have that extra syllable right after. 
So saying thank you so much fills that space, but doesn't, you know, give that impulse of, of gendering someone with ma'am and sir, which again, I'm in the South now. And so that's something that's prevalent here as, as a sign of respect. And certainly, you know, for, for grandparents, right, you know, the gender of your grandparents. And if that's their preference, I do not recommend that you get away from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, you know, in environmentally specific or contextually relevant approach to the language, but in that case, it was used as a term of respect, even though generations have passed and now it has a potentially completely different meaning. That's a lot to consider and keep in, keep in your mind when you're connecting with different people from different geographic locations. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the most important thing, Nils, and, and I'll say this probably a few times in the conversation is this is all a journey. It's all learning. The most important thing is that as leaders, you're considering what it is that you're saying and then asking questions. Is this the right word? Should I be using this word? Or what does this word really mean? What's the historical significance of this word? And taking a little bit of time, you know, Google is everyone's friend with that, right? Taking a little bit of time to check it and say, you know what? Oh, maybe I shouldn't be using that word. Or yeah, this word seems to be okay. Asking yourself those questions as an inclusive leader is so important. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Amazing. The next one I want to ask you about was the disability and invisible illnesses. And it said, did you know that 26% of adults in the United States have some type of disability and that 60% of adults in the United States have a chronic disease? I was blown away by that statistic because this doesn't always come up in the professional environment. It doesn't have to, right? But again, the awareness that 26%, what was it? Yeah, 26% of adults are living with some form of of disability was just mind blowing and thinking about how that impacts your work as a leader and the language that you use and how you talk about anything potentially even related to that disability. And a lot of people probably are going to be pretty shy and don't want to talk about it. Absolutely. And there's, there's a handful of things to consider there, Nils. One is, you know, when we were young, we, we would have questions, especially around people that look different than us or, you know, had disabilities. And so we would want to ask those questions. And a lot of times our parents would say, shh, don't ask, right? Don't say anything, right? And so now we don't know what to say because we've been taught not to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that puts us at a disadvantage and, and so many of us at a disadvantage. And then the, you know, disability is the identity group that any of us can become a part of at any time. Mm, Tell me more about that. Right. So, you know, as we get older, right, disabilities are, are, you know, mobility, for example, things like diabetes, uh, you know, any kind of chronic illness can be part of of our our lives. Accidents. Accidents. That can happen at any time. That can happen at any time. And, you know, so, you know, our health can change at any point. And, you know, diagnoses throughout our entire life can occur and change how we're able to navigate the world. And because of that, I want to work for an organization that understands and prioritizes DEI 
because whether I am, you know, from a culturally diverse background or I'm a woman or I'm part of LGBTQ plus community um, or I'm neurodiverse or all, you know, I'm a veteran, all of the different cultural and experiential parts of diversity. I want to know that my organization cares about me, cares about my experience and my ability to perform at a high level. And, you know, and again, with disability in particular, any of us can become a part of that group at any time. And I want to know that I work for an organization that is going to make sure that I'm supported as an employee. Yeah. Wow. That's tremendous, tremendous insight. And that is, um, I think it's, you know, sometimes we can think, well, it's not going to happen to me. I won't become, have something happen. And then it does. And, you know, sure enough, you find yourself there and it's always a humbling experience, no matter what it is or how severe, hopefully it's not, but it is a very humbling experience. So to your point, right, we want to work for companies that recognize that and appreciate that and support that because it's not the disability that's important. It's the work and the people and the person and who they are and valuing them and, you know, it just has to be a set of circumstances that they're going through. And if we can support them, they hopefully will still have a great relationship. So there was one other term that you had in the book here that was normal person. Normal person. That's one of those ones that comes up quite a bit. Oh, no, he's just a normal guy, right? There's two of them right there, normal and guy. Um, so <laughs> uh, tell us about why Normal person is not the most inclusive word and perhaps what we should be thinking about instead of thinking of somebody as a normal person. Right. There are two things, Nils. One, what is a normal person, right? You're putting your own assumptions on what you think is normal. And then, you know, as you dig into the statistics, Nils, like you just were with disability, you realize that, you know, these my, you know, minority groups are not minority groups at all, right? They're so much a part of our population in so many areas. And so, you know, it's not the majority is normal. And then, you know, something over here, something is, is wrong with you and these assumptions that you're making, but it makes people feel othered. It makes them feel not included. And you don't want to use the word normal what one with your own assumptions on what that is and two to make people feel outside of a group and not included and uncomfortable yeah and again just the awareness that oh my gosh like yeah i'm using a term that technically everybody knows what normal is the reality is everybody has a different definition of what normal That's is exactly right right and it's it's a what I like to call in the leadership world just a loaded term. Like there is no one definition. If you look it up in the dictionary, it might say something, but it does not apply to more than one person. And that person, the reason it applies is because it's their definition, whatever that happens to be. That's right. right. All right. So this last one, very curious about this because you spent time in sales and marketing and inside of organizations. And there's this concept that gets talked about a lot of, you know, the battlefield or going to war and we're going out to conquer a new territory. We're going to take down. There's a really visual stuff that usually my guess is that it's intended to inspire motivation from the troops and get people excited and feel like it is a, a huge challenge that we are going to take on. But in reality, that's not 
very inclusive language. So tell us a little bit more about that visualization that happens a lot. I'd probably say probably, I would guess more on the sales and marketing side, sales in particular, and how we might be able to adjust our language to get the same feeling that we want, but use a much more inclusive set of words. Nils, and this was one that for me as a writer was, was a little, you know, it took a little bit of the wind out of my sails. I love over-exaggerating words, right? And, and creating this beautiful imagery. And what I found out is that for people who have been to war, you know, it's, it's, it really does that service a disservice by comparing a meeting, right? Where I'm entirely safe, bullets are not flying, right? I've, I've just got to sit in a room and say the right things in the right way to get what I want. It's not the same. Right. <laughs> right. And I can walk out of this room at any time. No problem. No questions. Absolutely. Asked. And for people who have put their life on the line for our freedom, right. And understand what that real fear, that visceral fear of life and death in the moment is it, it does them a, a disservice. It, it disrespects that sacrifice. And it also can make them re, relive that in the moment and really shift their energy, have them in a situation where they're feeling uncomfortable, feeling upset, and then, and then making them feel like, you know, an unsafe environment. And we've all been offended by something someone has said in the workplace and it really can ruin our day. And, and a lot of times they didn't mean to offend us, but we can't stop thinking about it. We're kind of working, kind of mad. Right. And so you want to be careful of those words and those phrases because you don't know how it affects someone in in the moment. And Nils, you know, along that same lines, one of the things that that I often said, right, when I skipped breakfast is, oh, I'm starving, right? I'm not starving. I, I just skipped breakfast. But for people who, you know, have experienced food insecurity, you know, that can be triggering. And so we don't want to over-exaggerate our current feeling or status and reach into someone's, you know, deep experience with something negative like that and remind them of that, bring that up, bring that back to them in the moment. Wow. That's, and just another example of something we might say every day, I'm starving and not have had any taken that into consideration that the reality is no, you're not. And you probably have know where your next meal is coming from. You just skip the last one, right? And not taking into somebody else's situation into account can be offensive and can put somebody at an uneasy position. And then, you know, as a leader, our job is to help people be productive and be successful and do everything possible to make sure they have what they need. And if we're taking that away through the language that we use, then we're doing everybody a disservice. That's exactly right, Nils. And, you know, inclusive leadership is about creating the environment where people feel safe, respected, and encouraged to contribute their thoughts on ideas and to a better end. And it creates better business. And so whether you subscribe to the camp of this is the right thing to do 
for my employees. Or, you know, you need a little bit of the the business case pull, which is totally okay. You know, there are benefits to taking the time with this. And, you know, if you think about these examples, Nils, I know you probably have some listeners that are saying, oh my gosh, that is a lot of different stuff. I don't know how I could ever learn it. But, you know, just like you learn anything else, you learn how to adjust your language to create those environments of inclusion. Love it. And the, you know, key theme here that you said at the very beginning, which I want to bring back up is the progress, not perfection, right? And I take the exact same approach from a leadership skill development perspective in the B2B Leaders Academy is it's about progress. It's not about perfection. There's no way you will be perfect in all these things. I'm not. And I teach this stuff, right? <laughs> right? Same. <laughs> same with you, right? <laughs> it's okay, but we can always improve. And we can, if we choose to focus on a particular area, then we can get some tools just like you have in your wonderful book and just like I have inside the B2B Leaders Academy. And you go deep and you implement those tools and you integrate them and you experiment and you make mistakes and you learn and then you grow, but you're growing in a consistent fashion because you decided what was important. And I hope that after listening to this conversation, if you hadn't decided before that DE&I was important, I hope that you do now. So Jackie, where can people get a hold of your book and find out more about you in the diversity movement as well? Absolutely. So you can learn more about the diversity movement at thediversitymovement.com. There you'll find lots and lots of free resources that will help you with inclusive language, inclusive leadership, and lots of other concepts. You can also go to the inclusivelanguagehandbook.com to order copies of the book in paperback or digital. And then feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at the Jackie Ferguson. Awesome. Well, we'll include all those links in the show notes as well. Jackie, thank you so much for sharing your incredible expertise and wisdom, talking all things DE and I. I'm super excited, one, to have connected with you, two, to read your book, and three, to for me to start making some changes. I commit 100% to eliminating some of those words that I found in your book, which I was not aware of, you know, being potentially offensive to other people. So I thank you for that and helping guide me in becoming a better leader. Nils, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed this conversation. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya. And I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.